Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today I thought it'd be good to think about Christmas once again, and I'm in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, which says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. What a wonderful verse that tells us that just at the right time, God set up the world so that Jesus could come as a babe in a manger, he could live a sinless life, and then die on a cross just for you and for me. And the point is that because he died on the cross and took our place and redeemed us by his own precious blood, that when we receive him by faith, we're adopted into the family of God and we're called sons of God. What a great blessing it is to represent Jesus Christ in this day and age. What a privilege. I trust that the Lord will bless all of us together as we do his work and do his will throughout this new year. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Abbasad, who has a ministry in the Middle East. He's a global outreach missionary, and the Lord has opened all sorts of opportunities. He's in several countries in the Middle East. He's planted churches in these countries, countries that are in the news, like Syria, like Iraq, like Lebanon, like Jordan, like Libya. 
like uh, Sudan and others. And um, today we're talking about uh, the crisis with refugees, uh, particularly in Iraq, as a lot of the Christians are being persecuted by ISIL. And uh, because of that, uh, they're fleeing into Jordan. And so um, Abu has a ministry there. And, and so, Abu, why don't you tell us about uh, how the Lord is leading you and, and how you're ministering to these refugees? Well, thank you for having me on this uh, broadcast uh, today. I, uh, I would like to share with you uh, what's really going on among those uh, refugees. Uh, today, we're challenging those churches um, in all the areas to uh, uh, be part of this, uh, the Great Commission. What we're doing that uh, uh, helping the churches to reach out those uh, refugees. Uh, so uh, we've been uh, raising uh, lots of volunteers uh, from different uh, denominations, uh, evangelicals, uh, that they will go daily to those uh, refugees' homes to uh, share Christ with them, uh, share the love of Christ, share, uh, tell them how uh, God care about them, Jesus care about them, with uh, giving them some um, food, a food a bag of food, uh, which is dry food usually we use, contains rice, lentils, and uh, uh, sugar, you know, oil, things like this. So they can use it uh, for a month almost. And this bag is cost about $65 uh, actually. Plus we're uh, uh, also helping the children, uh, giving, giving them uh, milk, which is very important uh, for them. We're distributing a bag of milk uh, for every uh, child uh, in these uh, homes. Uh, plus, uh, winter is coming today, and uh, you know, as cold almost as it is uh, in this country, it comes. We get like minus zero uh, cent centigrade, and uh, we're providing um, blankets, we're providing uh, mattresses, we're providing uh, sometimes when we have. Uh, families living in one home, maybe four, five, six families in one apartment. Sometimes we, if we could, provide for them a, um, a washing machine uh, or really? fridge uh, because they have lots of kids. When you're saying four uh, families minimum in each apartment, uh, count four times four minimum, that's the minimum number, uh, you get uh, almost 16, uh, how many? Um, more than 16 uh, children. Mm -hmm. So imagine 16 child in one apartment, small apartment, and that's beside the, the other uh, folks too. So um, that's a kind of uh, treat for the women uh, there. And um, uh, by doing this, uh, we are having we're having chances uh, to meet uh, and share the gospel. Not just share the gospel, but I'm talking today also to have discipleship, to have Bible studies. Beside all this. Uh, People are so happy, the refugees, uh, to uh, see really Christ in us. And uh, we praise God that at least we can show uh, this uh, for those uh, Muslims, uh, Syrian refugees, and some Iraqi refugees too. So we, uh, today we're showing uh, this uh, love of Christ for those uh, refugees. Today from those refugees, we're getting a good uh, response beside uh, just uh, presenting Christ for them. And they're seeing this uh, as apply, uh, we're applying that, what we are teaching uh, for them as Jesus care. Uh, but also they're, they want us almost every day in their homes because um, uh, they call us and say, 
we want we want you to visit us just come without anything we don't want anything just come and visit us why uh, because uh, when they go to other organizations or even muslim muslim organizations to give them food or whatever other things they just throw the things for them or they don't they don't deal with them as human let me say it this way as they're uh, explained for us and so they said in, uh, instead you come to us you bring this stuff for us you sit down you chat with us you hear our sorrows you hear our problems and yes you cannot do very much but at least you are communicating with us and you're we're seeing your love and care uh, and we're learning from that so uh, and you're praying with them oh yes definitely <laughs> uh, in every time we visit uh, we uh, if that's only visit without uh, because now we have weekly at uh, Bible study or weekly uh, discipleship program it depends in each family but every uh, and many times we visit them during those weeks so every time we come we pray uh, with them beside in all the churches we're working through uh, the, uh, we're having programs for them once a week we're having um, a kids club for uh, the children uh, or the second week we will have one week a children program the other week we have something for the women to do handcraft and uh, and also do some counseling sessions uh, for them it sounds like you're doing a really good job there and i know the lord's uh, blessing you and uh, we'll pray that god will continue to give us the resources so that we continue to provide these physical things that they need but we're so thankful for the spiritual things that you're sharing, and uh, we know that you're going to see a great harvest of, of souls there. The Lord bless you, and thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour and for your prayer and financial support over the years. This is a new year, and we're trusting the Lord that he'll be able to meet our needs and to help us. And we trust that many of you will remember us in, in your will so that we can continue this broadcast into the future. This month, we're offering a booklet entitled Spiritual Gifts. It's a tremendous booklet in that it uh, sort of talks about the different gifts. It actually uh, tells you where the gifts are found. It tells you, um, it gives you a description of uh, what the gifts are. And I find it to be quite, a, quite an exciting uh, little booklet to for those of us who have been serving for many years to just refresh and to think about how God has used us and the different gifts that we may have to be used e even into the future. But it's a good handy booklet to um, understand spiritual gifts across the whole New Testament. And it's a great blessing and a great encouragement. To um, get your copy of Spiritual Gifts, write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, l 2 r 787 or in the United States at box 2010 Buffalo New York 14231
Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman. Printed copies are available upon request. The last three times in our messages, we have been considering how close we are to the end times. We have sought to show you that the Jewish people are returning for the second time, just as God promised. They have retaken Jerusalem, which is a necessary basis for end-time prophecy to be fulfilled. Though these things are falling into place just as the prophets of old predicted, there are also many more promises, and we'll try to examine some, examine some of them today. To begin with, we would like to consider the currency of Israel. Today, the measure of the currency is in shekels. Throughout the centuries of Gentile rule, there have been many different currencies used in the land. In fact, in my desk drawer, there's a first-century Roman coin that I found at Caesarea. The British pound was used until February 23, 1980, when it was replaced with the shekel, which is the common coin of today. So from 70 AD until February 24, 1980, there were no shekels in circulation. Just recently, archaeologists found a two-shekel coin beneath Robinson's Gate at the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. It dates back to the time of King David. So how does the shekel fit into the prophetic picture of end-time prophecies? The answer is found in the book of Ezekiel. Chapters 40 through 48 tell us about the Millennial Temple, its size and construction, as well as what the worship will be like during that period of time. In Ezekiel 45, verses 12 to 16, we read, The shekel shall be twenty jerahs, twenty shekels, twenty-five shekels, and fifteen shekels shall be your mina. This is the offering which you shall offer. You shall give one-sixth of an ephah from a homer of wheat and one-sixth of an ephah from a homer of barley. The ordinance concerning oil, the bath of oil, is one-tenth of a bath from a core. A core is a homer and t or ten baths, for the ten baths are a homer. And one lamb shall be given from a flock of two hundred, from the rich pastures of Israel. These shall be for grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings, to make atonement for them, says the Lord God. All the people of the land shall give this offering for the prince in Israel." Without going into all the details of the various measures given here, it's important for our study to only look at the shekel. Ezekiel, when describing the offering that will be made in the future millennial temple, uses shekels. For over 1,900 years, they've not been the currency of Israel. Now they're in circulation again. This detail, for my mind, is a fascinating one. This can only be another indication that we're coming closer to the end times. Another indication that we're drawing close to the end times is the revival of the Hebrew language. Like Latin, Hebrew had become a dead language. The only time Latin is used is at Mass in Catholic churches. For centuries, Hebrew was only used when reading the Torah or from prayer books. No one spoke it. God used one man, Eliezer ben Yehuda who had a real love for the Hebrew language to encourage the Jewish people to relearn Hebrew. He said, I have decided that in order to have our own land and political life, it is also necessary that we have a language to hold us together. 
We must have a Hebrew language in which we can conduct the business of life. It will not be easy to revive a language dead for so long a time. Without going into details here, his dream has come true, and the Hebrew language is alive and well today, spoken by millions of people. But what does that have to do with end-time events? The prophet Zephaniah says in chapter 3, verse 9, For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they may call on the name of the Lord. He makes this statement in context with God, judging the Gentile nations, and then bringing in his kingdom. There's a parallel passage in Isaiah 19. There God is promising judgment on Egypt, followed by him blessing that nation when they will finally turn to him at the time of the millennial reign of Christ. Beginning in verse 16, or rather verse 18 of Isaiah 19, it says, In that day, five cities of the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts and will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they will cry to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt because of the oppressors, and he will send them a Savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and will make sacrifice and offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. We know that Egypt has never known the Lord. In fact, throughout the scriptures, Egypt is depicted as a, the world and its sin. Egypt has never turned to the Lord, but will as a nation turn to him after God judges them and Christ returns. Since sacrifices and offerings will be made during the millennial reign of Christ, this passage will be fulfilled at that time. Here's where we get back to the point that the revitalizing of the Hebrew language is showing us we are close to the end times. We saw in our passage that they will speak the language of Canaan at that time. That language of Canaan, during the Canaanite period, there were many city-states, each with their own king, culture, and language. This is very clear by reading the book of Joshua. The language of Canaan was Hebrew after the exodus from Egypt, and the children of Israel conquered the land. Now, Hebrew has once again been established as the language of the land, just as God has promised. I believe this is another indication that we're fast approaching the end times. Another area that we should consider to show that we could be very close to the end times is how the land itself has been changed in recent years. Here are two prophetic passages of scripture that we should consider. The first one is found in Joel 2, 21-24. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, 
for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. The second passage is found in Ezekiel 36, 33 to 36. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell on the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and will perform it. I have read writer after writer who had visited Palestine in the 19th and early 20th centuries. They all reported the same thing. The land was empty of people, there were no trees, and the little towns that were left were in terrible condition. No one could ever reclaim that land. It was hopeless to even think they could. It was a land to avoid, a wasteland and rampant with disease. The only visitors were a few fanatical pilgrims. However, when the Jewish people returned, everything began to change. First of all, as we have mentioned before, they drained the swamps and began to raise crops. Then they began to plant trees. The Jewish National Fund was established for this purpose, and millions and millions of trees had been planted, establishing the large forests that are clearly visible throughout the land today. I am fully aware of this, having planted trees myself in honor of various family members. They even have a forest named after President Truman because he recognized Israel as a nation just a few moments after David Ben-Gurion declared Israel's statehood on May the 14th, 1948. The first time I went to Israel was in March 1992. One of the first things I noticed was the beautiful floral growth in the desert. Today, with the use of their system of irrigation, you will find huge date palm plant farms out in the desert, providing this and other fruit for the people, as well as supplying Europe with some of the finest fruit and vegetables for their tables. On the Golan Heights, what was once nothing but a military base for Syria, you now find some of the finest grazing lands for cattle. In 1972, Israel did not have a lot of beef, and what they did eat was imported from Argentina. Now they raise their own. Instead of old dilapidated buildings in their cities, they are now modernizing with well-constructed buildings, lovely tree-lined streets, and a good road system throughout the country. In less than 100 years, these people have come from the ancient past to a beautiful, thriving nation. 
Her cities and towns are populated, and it is a joy to see their children playing in the streets. You may be asking yourself, well, what does that have to do with end-time events? The scripture passages we read the earlier speak of a day that, we're, are be, that we are beginning to see unfold before our eyes now. As we're seeing the Jewish people return to their promised homeland from all over the world, as we watch a nation born in a day and be moving toward what God says it will be like at the second coming of the Lord Jesus, we had better begin to wake up to how God is preparing everything just as he has promised the way it will be at that time. As we think on the things we have seen from the scriptures, we also should spend a few moments considering another trend that is taking place today. Our world is rapidly changing from nationalism to a system of globalism. I've heard cries for a one-world government, a one-world military, and yes, a one-world church. It would bring all nations into a system where we could be governed alike. Supposedly, this would bring equality and happiness to all the people of the world. I remember my father warning against this many, many years ago. Now I see it being advocated by many world leaders today. There are two basic problems here. The first one is the universality of sin. Fallen mankind will never be able to bring this about. The old sin nature in every person will rise up and prevent this from ever happening. The second problem that I see with this position is that God points out through the scripture that man will attempt to do this in the latter days. As he does it, there will, be a, there will arise a world leader with a silver tongue who will convince the world that he has the answer to all of man's problems. People will follow him just like little ducklings follow their mother duck. The population of the world will buy into all that he has to offer. The only problem is this man will be the Antichrist. My friend, the stage is set for him to come into the world. And when he is revealed, it will be too late. I remember as a boy listening to my father and grandfather sitting around on Sunday afternoon discussing whether or not, and if so, when Israel might ever be a nation again as God promised. Then I saw it happen. And in a day, too. We have seen many leaders of the world as they are pushing a globalist agenda. They want a one-world community and a one-world church, just as God predicted in the book of Revelation. The stage is set for the revelation of the Antichrist and asking him to forgive you and come into your life. I trust you will do that. I trust that the message you just heard will be a real blessing to you throughout this next week as you contemplate some of the truths that have been presented to you. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're concerned about people growing in their faith and being discipled through the messages and uh, the programs that we present, but also we're concerned about those who may be listening to our broadcast who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And of course, this is a new year and to be a new start if you would ask Jesus to come into your heart if you don't already have that relationship with him. 
And the scriptures are very clear about what needs to happen. First of all, God says that he, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is eternal life, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Lord Jesus is the one that did the work on the cross. He's a savior. He paid your penalty for your sins. And he rose on the third day, and your sins can be forgiven if you ask him to come into your life. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. And as you grow closer to God, God uses you to bigger and greater extent. That's what the scripture promises. Remember to order your copy of Spiritual Gifts. I know it will be a great blessing to you. Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7. Or in the U.S. at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Of course, you can hear past broadcasts on our website at www.missiongo.org. Pray for us. Really would love for you to write in and get this book on spiritual gifts. May the Lord bless you throughout this next week.